Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Well, you can take out your Bibles, but we're actually going to read the text from my translation. I mean, I decided why mess around with any of the others. Actually, when I, I'm interested in, in having a translation. I want it as literal as I can have it. Uh, I, many of these Bibles, are, are, they're, they're trying to give you the sense of it, and that's what the uh, translator thinks the sense of it is. I appreciate that, and I know that it's not a wrong thing to do at all. But when I'm studying the word, I want to know exactly what it said. I want to see it. I'm always trying to see it in my mind's eye. If I could be there, I would like to do that. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to, to somehow be going along with those disciples, or in this case, with, with, with uh, Saul on the road to Damascus? Wouldn't you? I want to see it. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just examining the, the Greek and everything else, trying to, trying to get the clues so that the picture, the, the, the actual event unfolds in front of my eyes. And so I want us to see that. We're going we're gonna to see a, a, a powerful term that's used about... Uh, I almost called him St. Paul. At this point, he's, he's anything but that. He, he, he is Saul of Tarsus. He is one angry Pharisee. And uh, so he's, he's on the road, and, and the Lord meets him. But the Lord, when he does meet him, he calls him a chosen vessel. A chosen vessel. And there's something inside of me that reacts whenever I have a sense of there's sort of an unfairness. You know, do you, do you like certain people better than others? Is that what's going on? But, but it's not. Um, but there are people that God goes after with, a, with an aggressiveness. There are people God targets and pursues, and they are chosen vessels, and we need to see what that means. Father God, would you open the word? We, we are not here to be entertained. We are here to be discipled. We are here to follow and obey and live in the truth that you reveal to us. And I pray, God, for the grace to speak your word and not mine. And to let you teach us and train us that we might be blessed, strengthened, and fruitful. Come Holy Spirit now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to start with the translation, my translation there. Let's just remind ourselves where we are. Saul has heard that there is uh, many Christians up in Damascus. Damascus is 140 miles, as the crow flies, from, from Jerusalem to Damascus. It is, an, it is an ancient city. It is a city with a huge Jewish population, many synagogues. I think I read hundreds. I mean, so there's many synagogues in this city. And many Christians, as the persecution has broken out, this is where the Galilean Christians, the ones in the north, this is where they fled to. They went to Damascus. They got relatives, they got, there's a Jewish community there, so that's where they have gone. There are, so there's lots of Christians, a lot of, a lot of the Galilean Christians are up there. He hears of this, and he's going to get them. Apparently, he's pretty well satisfied himself that he's got everybody he can get his hands on in Jerusalem, and has arrested them. We've gone through the whole thing, you know, beaten them till they would blaspheme. I don't think they did blaspheme, and so you had a lot of executions, uh, it, was, it was ugly. 
now he has heard this and he's riding with a group of, of temple police up to Damascus to, to, to run what they would have called in Russia a pogrom. I mean, he's going to go through and just find and, and, and arrest and slaughter the Christians he can find. On the way, the Lord appears to him. They're walking and it's midday and a light comes, it flashes brighter than the sun. He, he says that, brighter than the sun. It flashes around them all. They all fall to the ground. The others clearly don't look at this thing. They're just doing what you would do. But not, not Saul of Tarsus. He stares right up into that light. In the process, his eyes are physically damaged. This is the Shekinah glory. We've talked about it before. The Shekinah glory is, a, is an enormous power. And it, it, it will just, we cannot be in the full glory of God as we will someday until we're resurrected. Your bodies will just, just be destroyed uh, right now. Moses getting just a glimpse of the Lord, shone, his, his flesh shone from it. So Saul is looking up and seeing Jesus. He's not seeing a, a, a vision. This is not a, 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 some kind of revelation in the, in the sense of, a, of knowledge. He's looking at the resurrected Jesus. And the glory of the resurrected Jesus is such that as he's staring at him, his eyes are damaged. Apparently they ooze, uh, forgive me, I don't know, whatever happens, like pus or whatever forms, and, a, and scales come over his eyes. He's blinded by it completely and is on the ground, blind, and the Lord speaks to him. They take this blinded Pharisee and they have to lead him by the hand into the rest of the city. How far was that? I've heard estimates a mile to 10 miles. Some people think about 10 to 12 miles was a place where this occurred. I don't know. But they had to march him in. Now, imagine this. He's coming to a home of a man named Judas. That's his host. And it, you, we read the reference. It's on Straight Street. And we think, whatever. No, no. Straight Street. It is a, the central boulevard that runs from east to west right through Damascus. It is a colonnaded boulevard. There is a center walk area and there is uh, the, the traffic flowing one direction on one side and then the other side going the other direction. It's where the palace is. It's where the theater is. This is the prestigious address. And he's going to an estate on Straight Street by the man named Judas, who is the honored synagogue leader of wh however they picked him, to host the emissary for the high priest. So he has the high priest's emissary staying in his home while he runs this inquisition through the city. Can you imagine the surprise on his face when they lead the great dignitary from the high priest in his front door? Blind, trembling, and in shock. They put him in a room. He doesn't eat or drink. This is an easy guest to have. <laughs> they just leave him in a room, probably just lying there coping, processing what on earth has just happened to me. And then the realizations. I can only imagine he's grieving. 
enormously. To suddenly realize how completely wrong you've been. And yet how aggressive you've been. You have hurt people. You have killed people. You have men and women. You've destroyed families. You've, take, you've watched Stephen shining like an angel and grit your teeth while they, while they killed him with stones and you were delighted. And now you realize Stephen was God's man. And you were horrible. He, in agony, he processed these days in this room. And then... Ananias shows up. Here we go. Verse 10. There was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise up and go on the street called Straight and seek the house of Judas. In the house of Judas, a Tarsian named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And in a vision, he saw a man named Ananias coming in and putting hands on him so that he may see again. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, what evil things he did to your saints, the literally, literally the holy ones in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all the ones who are calling upon your name. Look at that phrase. The ones who are calling upon your name. Who are the holy ones? The ones who are? On what name? Yeah. That's the key word in the, in the day of Pentecost. Remember that with Peter? He quotes from Joel. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the name of the Lord is? All right. So these are the men and women who are calling upon the name of the Lord and are saved. And therefore are holy. The Lord said to him, go, because this man is a chosen vessel. Say chosen vessel. <laughs> to pick up and carry, look at that, pick up and carry my name before the nations and kings, not the nations, before nations and kings and sons of Israel. That word pick up and carry is, is an unusual word. It's not the one you'd always use. It, but it is the same one that Jesus used when he said, if any man come after me, let him pick up and carry his cross and follow me. Yeah, lift it up, hoist it up and carry it. He says, he, I've called him, I've chosen him to pick up and carry my name before nations and kings and the sons of Israel. And I will give him a glimpse of how many things he will be bound to suffer on behalf of my name. And Ananias went away and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me, Jesus, the one being seen by you in the way which you were coming, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Please notice, he comes in, and this has got to be quite the event. Can you imagine being Ananias knocking on the door? He comes in, and he puts his hands on him, and then he says that. So he walks up, Saul's in who knows what condition. Probably don't need, he's not, we're not having sort of friendly greetings here. Man's probably just, he goes over, he puts his hands on him, and he says, Brother Saul. Isn't that cool? Brother Saul. The Lord has, has sent me. 
And immediately there fell away from him, from the eyes, that's the way Luke the physician says it, there fell away from him from the eyes, something like scales or flakes, and he saw again, and rising up was baptized. And receiving food was greatly strengthened. And he was with the disciples in Damascus some days. And then it says, and right away. And the word means point A to point B. No messing around. You go straight from here to here. So in other words, the next Saturday, the next Sabbath, you know where he is. There's no, no lingering in between. He now knows Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is Messiah. He is the savior. So how long does he wait? Till the next Saturday. And then he goes to synagogue. And when they say, Saul of Tarsus, welcome. Do you have anything to say to us? He says, yes, I do. And he stands up and says, I was on my way here to kill Christians. I thought I was serving God. And as I was on my way, a light appeared to me. And I looked up and Jesus of Nazareth stood there in all his glory. He is the son of God. I was wrong. The prophets have prophesied. That, and he's all, boy, does he cause a stir. This is not what they expected. And right away, some of the old say straightway. Proclaim Jesus in the synagogues that this one is the son of God. And those hearing him were stunned. The words beside themselves. And we're not, and we're saying, is not this man the one who captured and slaughtered those who called upon this name in Jerusalem? And for this, he had come here in order to, that after binding them, he might bring them before the chief priests. Notice chief priests is plural. There's no such thing as plural chief priests. Only in this situation, you've got this political mess. You've got an old man named Annas, and then they just appoint whoever is, is either his son or his son-in-laws around in some kind of rotation uh, to have the title, but he really runs the show. So you've got a mess with a, with a, a number of people who are sort of high priests. Here we go again. We just read how an angel told Philip to walk down a particular road and then the Holy Spirit pointed out an Ethiopian official he was to lead to Christ. Now we, we hear the Lord speak to a disciple named Ananias and tell him to go to a certain address and lay hands on Saul of Tarsus. Both situations are divine appointments, are they not? In both, Jesus sends his disciple after someone he has targeted. He knows whose heart is ready to receive him but he also can see into the future. He can see a person's obedience and fruitfulness. And some will be more fruitful than others. Some will choose to be apathetic and do little for him. Others will passionately serve him the rest of their lives. There's no way a human being can know these things. We cannot see into this realm we have no idea who these highly fruitful people will be, but God sees the heart and knows the future. And because of this, he does pursue some people more aggressively than others. Have you noticed? Not only in the Bible, but you may be one of those he targeted. He does so because he knows certain people will bring 
many others to him. As illogical as it might have seemed at the time, Saul of Tarsus was one of these. This ravager of the church would become a great apostle and write half the books of the New Testament. God knew all that, but Ananias didn't. All he knew was that he had had to put his life on the line and knock on that door. You and I don't know who it is. Years ago, uh, when Mary and I were planning a church in Oak Harbor, our supervisor at the time was Roy Hicks Sr. Roy Hicks Sr. was a real man of faith. He, he preached it and he lived it. And those were, uh, those were good years. I, I enjoyed having him as my supervisor very much. There were only 64 square churches in the entire Northwest, which included everything from here to Detroit, practically. And, and it, it, was, it was a huge area, and we had very few churches. And he would be in every church once a year. That was his practice. He just, every weekend, he, he was in somebody's church. And he'd come in on a, on a, on a Friday night, and, you, you know, and then we'd put him up in a hotel, and uh, often he put himself up in a hotel. The churches didn't have any money. And, he, and then he would take you to breakfast in the morning. Uh, Margaret, his wife, would come with him. Uh, we'd, all, we'd go together as, as Mary and I and Margaret and, and Roy would go to breakfast and just have a, a, a nice time. And then in the afternoon, he'd, he'd, he'd take me and we'd, we'd talk. And then he, Margaret and Mary would talk. And they just, just, how you doing? What's going on here? You know, this just, he's, he's discipling. He's, he's, there's good leadership. He'd often speak in our church on, on Sunday morning and then, then off he'd go. Next week he'd be somewhere else. One of those times he said something to me, kind of in an offhand manner that I have never forgotten. He says, you know, I, I'm in a, new, a different church every weekend. And he said, and then I come back around and he says, I have noticed something. He said, uh, I'll come to some some fellow's church, and he'll introduce me to a guy, and he'll say this, you know, Dr. Hicks, I want to introduce you to, to uh, so-and-so. He's, this is my right-hand guy. He said, you know, he's, 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 he, I'm discipling him, you know, and, and all of this. And he's, he'd introduce me to this guy, and he said, and then the next year I come back, that guy's run off with somebody else's wife. And he says, it's almost inevitable. He said, I, he said, I have come to the conclusion that we don't know who the real disciples are. And so he says, I suggest to you, Steve, that you, you simply disciple the whole church and you're bound to hit the right ones. <laughs> it, that's profound. It's, it really is. There's a tra- great humility in this thing. It says, I don't know who the real ones are. And he says, but I will tell you, you'll spot them. And I'll tell you how you can spot them. He says, are the ones that that are, are so hungry, they're following you out to the car, you know, asking questions and trying to, trying to understand. He said, they'll show themselves. You can't spot them. Isn't that profound? Isn't that profound? That's what, that's what we're seeing here. People you would never have thought of. God knows the heart. Not only when they're ready to receive Christ for their own salvation, but he also knows who it is who's going to serve him with a passion the rest of their lives. Who it is who will, who will be fruitful and touch many lives.
chosen vessel. This isn't favoritism. It isn't that God loves one person more than another. It's God's loving heart in action, strategically targeting certain people. Because if he or she comes to him, many more will be saved. Yes, he wants every person saved, but many will refuse him. And yes, every believer should be a passionate disciple, but some seed falls in rocky soil or among thorns. You remember what rocky soil was in that parable? Rocky soil is persecution and hardship. Some people think, oh, that's great. I'm glad to be a Christian. And the minute they get persecution or hardships or trials for their faith, they're done. They hadn't counted on that. It was all about just getting blessed. That's why they became a Christian. They had no idea. There was negative stuff to it. The minute they find that, they dump it. Remember what thorns were? Deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pursuit of money. And the cares of the world. Simply being so full of this world, you just don't have time for God. Oh, you, you know, you, whatever. The, the, the rocky soil, actually the seed dies. It doesn't say the seed dies with the thorns. It simply says it bears no fruit at all. It's just spent all of its energy on this world, not on the next. And then there's some that falls in. Good soil, isn't there? And the good soil brings forth fruit, how much? 30, 60, 100 fold. Reproducing. People reproducing what God has placed in them. Let me just make a com- one more comment. We often look at people and we think we can tell. And we say, oh, that person is so gifted. If they ever came to Jesus, what a swath they'd leave. Huh? They're, they're either good looking or they're smart or they're talented or they're gifted. I have discovered over the years that the highly gifted usually, not always, but usually amount to nothing. And I don't, I don't understand that. It's like they're so aware that they're gifted that they spend their time kind of looking in a mirror, like mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the most gifted of them all? It's me. Come on. Come on. It's me. There's a vanity to it. Like, I am so cool. You wish I'd really get on fire, don't you? You know, there's this sort of conceit to it. It's silly. And and then you'll have some simple person who you'd overlook in the natural. Man, they lock on to Jesus. And they just serve him and and touch lives. And And you're just stunned. You don't know. You can't see with the outward. Because it has to do with the heart. It has to do with the heart, not the gifts. Indeed, the Lord loved Saul of Tarsus and knew he would say yes when he saw the truth. But that's not the only reason Saul was a chosen vessel. God also chose him because he loves us, you and me, and knew that this man would preach and write in such a way that Gentiles like us could hear the saving truth and believe it. Being chosen went beyond Saul's own personal salvation to his fruitfulness as a minister. It meant he would suffer enormously. It meant his life would no longer be his own. Later on, he would describe himself as a slave of Christ. Listen now to the full text of what Jesus said to him. Turn with me to Acts 26. Three times in the book of Acts, Paul's testimony is given. That's The first one is, is, is Luke's account with undoubtedly Paul narrating it. Uh, 
But here, Luke takes what was Jesus said to him by revelation on the road and apparently puts it together with what Jesus said to him prophetically through Ananias. So we have the two statements, but this is the sum of what Jesus said to him. Listen to this. And I'm going to start there at verse 12, just so you get a little bit of the picture. And while so engaged, that is in persecuting Christians, as I was journeying to Damascus, he's narrating this to King Agrippa, with the authority and commission of the chief priests, there it is in plural again, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Shaul, Shaul, why are you pursuing me? Remember that? It's hard. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are pursuing. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but to the things in which I will appear to you. You're going to have more visions. He talks at one point about being in the third heaven. Remember that? Yeah. Rescuing you from the people, from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Say sanctified by faith in me. Faith. Say it again. What does sanctified mean? Set apart, it's made holy. So how does a person become holy? Look at what you just said. You are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. You're made holy by faith in Christ. That's our only holiness. That's the foundation, isn't it? Jesus doesn't, you notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't go through a theological discussion with Paul. You were so wrong about this and this and this and this. And look at this. He doesn't do any of that. He just goes, boom. You were, per you were pursuing me, Saul. You found me. Now get up. Go in the city and wait for instructions. And then when he gets there, the prophet comes and says, I've called you. And you're going to suffer great things. And you're going to carry my name. You're going to lift it like a cross and bear my name before, before nations and before kings. He will. He'll do it before Caesar Nero. This man's going to, this guy's going to witness to Caesar Nero. Kings and the sons of Israel. There's an assignment that comes immediately. He's a chosen vessel. Turn to Galatians 1. We're going to look at that in just one second. In writing to the churches in Galatia, Paul looks back on his life and realizes God had a plan for him even before he was born. He wasn't formally set apart by a church until the elders in Antioch laid hands on him and sent him out. But God knew who he was going to become 
and gave him the gifts he would need, listen, while he was still in his mother's womb. Look what he says here. Well, let's pick up there at verse 13, Galatians 1. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute. Actually, there's the word pursue. Pursue the church of God, hunt it down beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God who had set me apart from where? My mother's womb. See that? God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. The holy baptism of the Holy Spirit, Christ in me, the Spirit coming in, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he goes on and says, I didn't ask any human what the gospel was. It was taught to me. Paul is saying, God knew who I was to become. And God set me apart and developed me for this while I was being formed in my mother's womb. Now, there was a lot of bad years in between. There were years of him becoming very hostile. But when he came, he looks back and he sees that God has been developing him for this all along. David said the same thing. Would you read that out loud with me? For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. The Hebrew people are, are literarily very sophisticated. Uh, way more than most of our average people. That's poetry. The skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. He's, it's poetry. He's talking about being deep in his mother's womb. And God seeing him and forming him there. Now, look at the next line and read this with me. Then he said, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them. David says, you knew I was to become the king. And when I was in my mother's belly, you formed me and gave me the gifts and gave me what I would need so that the day when it came that I was the king, you had formed me for this. Does God do that for us? Listen to what's being said. It goes on. Let's look at Jeremiah. Here's another one. The Lord said the same thing to Jeremiah. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you, in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I what? I set you apart. I consecrated you. I prepared you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. These passages aren't about physical appearance. People often read this passage and they think, well, if God formed me in, in my mother's womb, why am I ugly? You know, I'm serious. This is a big issue. People, there's people who really hang up on this verse. They're thinking, if you did this to me, I hate you. 
It's not talking about your physical appearance at all. It's talking about your, the graces and gifts that he's built into you so that you may serve him. That you may fulfill your calling. That you may do that for which he has ordained you to do. Do you see that? That's what you've been fitted and formed for. And he's a, he does a good job. He does a good job. He says, you've, you've, you've done it skillfully and you're wonderfully. I've been fearfully made so that you put in me the things I need to fulfill my calling in life. They aren't about physical appearance. They're about the natural capacities and spiritual gifts that would be needed for that person to fulfill God's plan for their life. Like a potter, the Lord molds each of us in such a way that he can effectively minister to others. We've been designed to contain him and serve him. So God looked beyond the deception in Saul and saw him as he was going to become. While still in his mother's womb, God had given him the gifts to be a great apostle. In other words, he saw Paul, not Saul. He calls him a vessel. What do you do? What do you do with a vessel? You put stuff in it. You put stuff in it. He's a chosen vessel to contain the spirit of God. And you use vessels. They serve you. It's been designed for a purpose in God's service. He's a chosen vessel. So does God only choose apostles, kings, and prophets? Or does he choose ordinary people too? Let's let him answer that question. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. Jesus is saying, as I have preached now, and if I, as, as I've ministered, he's just had, he's just had the, the disciples come back and report all that's going on. And then he gives this, this spiritual praise. I mean, he says he's moved, and he, and he praises God. And he says, you've chosen to reveal the truth to certain people. Not to, not to a names on a list, but to a certain category. Who, are, who has he chosen to reveal himself to? What is it, what's the word Jesus uses there? Look. Infants. What's he mean by that? Just, just babies? Those who are humble. Those who are childlike. Those who are tender. Those who are responsive. Those who, those who receive. Look at, look at, listen to Paul. Why don't you read it with me? For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. Does God only choose prophets, apostles, and kings? No. The answer is, by far, the greatest number of people he chooses are ordinary people. He looks for humble, 
yielded hearts, willing to serve him faithfully, and then targets that person. It's not just generic. He goes after those people. He pursues them and won't let them go, get away. He sees them not as they are, but as they will become. He sees the way he designed them, the lives they will touch, and the joy they will bring to him. Listen to Jesus. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Who chose who? Yeah, he comes after us. He chooses us. Is he picky? Is, is, it, is it a matter of him saying, well, I don't like you, and I like you? <clears throat> Not at all. It's a matter of him saying, I love them all, and, and, and you're a fruitful one, and you will serve me, and, and you... I, I, and you you, not many mighty, not many noble, you, humble so-and-so, you will serve me beautifully. He comes after them. Who bears fruit? I believe God designs every person to be highly fruitful. Every person, every human, all are intended for God's service. But fruitfulness doesn't come because of gifting. It comes because of abiding. That is so good. <laughs> Fruitfulness doesn't come because of gifting. It comes because of abiding. Amen. You can't look at your aptitudes and your IQs and your skills and your talents. They are not what makes you fruitful. And as I pointed out, they can actually get in the way. You can become a, you can literally preen and sort of enjoy your gifting and marvel at yourself. And you become, you become vain, a narcissistic. We are the ones who decide whether or not we will abide, not God. That's why Jesus warned us. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In our worship, Jonathan made a reference, if you heard it. He said, how, how, do, we, how do we be with the Lord? We give him time. Say time. We often think, well, I'm abiding in him. I'm being loyal to Christian theology. I believe that stuff. <laughs> Give me a test. I'll check the right answers. I'm abiding. No, that's not what it means. That's fine. We don't want you going off in false theology. But what it, it, it's relational. <coughs> he, what he wants is you, time with you every day. This program we've just gone through with, uh, I say we, the, the, the staff, many of us have just finished the OSL1, uh, the, the, the level one. What I discovered, and this is, this is really, listen to me, this is really important. I have been pursuing for years the essence of the gospel. What do I preach 
so that someone may be truly saved and transformed. I must preach the baptism of the Father, which is repentance. I must explain repentance. I must call for repentance. You cannot come into the kingdom proud and independent and rebellious. I must call for that. You must decide to surrender and bow your knee to Christ. If you don't, you're not saved. No matter what else your theology and what else anyone's told you, you aren't there yet. You must have the baptism of the Son. You must put your arms around the cross and trust the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And you must believe that and that fire must burn in you the rest of your life. It's not a game. It's not a little prayer. It is who you become. You are a man or woman full of faith in Christ and you will trust him the rest of your life. Two baptisms. Then you must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He is given to you, but that doesn't mean you've received him. He's yours because you're righteous. But have you opened up and, and received? And you see over and over again this situation in the book of Acts where they then received the Holy Spirit. And it was a powerful encounter. It was real. It was personal. It was experiential, if you want to use that word. It wasn't just a theology. He was in them. I've been preaching that. I've been trying to move faithfully into that. And then Jesus says that I'm to teach all that he has commanded. And, and I'm a teacher, so I just lecture you left and right. You get it all. Somebody said, you make it easy, Steve. We don't even need to study at home. You do it all for us. That was not a compliment. I thought, oh, man, I'm spoiling them. But I missed something. He says, teach them to observe, to do. And that's discipline. And it's training. Here's what I learned in, in, in OSL 1. I, I actually had this in my life. But I, I'll tell you, it was, it was good for me. It was good for all of us. We were put through four weeks in which we, every morning, had to have in the Bible. Now, I did anyway. Forgive me, but I did. But I, I used that system. It was a good one. In fact, I'm still using it now that I'm finished. I had to be in the Bible. had to read the Bible. had to reflect on it and meditate in it. I had to pray out loud at least 10 minutes. Whoa. I did anyway. But come on. I had I had to I had to cut off the media. And I got 2 hours of uh, all week and that was just enough time to check in and see what was the score and then turn it off. I didn't think I listened to a lot of media, but between baseball games and the newspaper, my mind was just hearing an awful lot of it. Now I, I'm done. I fin we finished on Thursday. And what I found is I haven't gone back. I'm free to go back. I can turn the junk on again. But you know something? What happens is after four weeks of, of, of that kind of Time with the Lord. And we've been hearing all, this, all these sermons on the, on, the, on the solid good stuff. Jerry's good. And laying this foundation on the love of God. I really feel close to him. It's easy for me to get in touch with him. I sit down on a chair and I feel the warmth. It's almost like effortless. And, and it used to be I had to really plow through a lot of worry and a lot of stuff to get near him. And it's really easy now. And, I, and I'm actually, I'm, I'm just, I haven't gone back. I haven't turned it on again. I've got one, one newspaper, uh, we canceled it, and the other one is expiring on the 15th, and I'm just letting that puppy die. And, and I'm thinking, huh, I used to feel like I had to keep in touch with everything. 
And now I do. I have to keep in touch with God. And I just want to, what am I, what am I saying? This abiding, are you abiding? Not are you a Christian? Are you giving him time every day? Here's what I fail to give you. The training to have a disciplined, basic, foundational Christian life, which is a daily time in the word of God. There's nothing beyond the word of God that will change you more. So that you begin to think biblically. You begin to think in terms of the promises. Not in terms of the world. We are reading and listening to so much stuff. And it's worldly stuff. It's flesh stuff. It's human thinking. It's everywhere. And then you get in the Bible and it's very different. And what it says about you. What it says you can do. What it says God's plans for you. The, the, the way you think about yourself changes dramatically. Now, here's what I learned. I heard Jerry say this at a thing I went to. Um, he said, I wondered, I, I used to think, what's holding people back? You'll find people in their 50s and 60s, and you'll say, what's your calling in life? And they say, I, I don't know. Really? And I'm thinking, wow, how did we fail? How did you go get this old, and you don't have a clue what you're called to do? There's something wrong with this. This is not a healthy picture. And I'm thinking, what did I do? How did I fail? I thought, oh, I know. I need to teach on gifting and calling. Wouldn't you know that I'm a teacher? That's what Jerry said. He said, I'm fine that when people get a hold of the truth, that they are the righteousness of God in Christ. When they really believe they're clean and loved, something begins to, condemnation and shame goes away. And they get bold and they get happy. And when they do, they begin to feel the calling. And God, by the Spirit, begins to call them. God, by the Spirit, begins to put visions and dreams in their hearts. It's not something you teach. It's something you release. You see it? This is profound. And it comes not by, there's no sort of new little cute thing. It's you need to be full of the Word of God. You need to have it in your mind. I mean, daily, you need to be memorizing Scripture. We're all memorizing Scripture. You need to get it in your brains. You need to, you need to speak it out of your mouth. You need to stand on the truth. And you'll think different. I don't think any of us aren't, aren't different. It really has affected me. And I knew a lot of stuff. But it just put me deeper. You need discipline. You need to allow a basic Christian discipline, a daily time with God. It needs to come in. Memorizing the word, reading the word, meditating in the word. That must be in your life. And if what has happened is I've taught you all this stuff and, you, and you're writing on that, but you don't have that in your personal life, I can tell you it's not working yet. Isn't it? Combine, I've not taught you falsely. But put that daily discipline into your life. And watch what happens. The junk comes off and you begin to explode. And you realize, you know what you realize? I'm a chosen vessel. I am a chosen vessel set apart for God's service. He designed me in my mother's womb. He knew me before the foundations of the earth. 
He has a plan for me and a purpose for me of great fruitfulness, not a little bit. You come out of this, oh, I'm just nothing. I just can't do it. All that kind of garbage goes away and you begin to think, I can do all things through Christ, man. He's called me and you get excited about what's happened to you. See, one reason we don't share our, our faith with others is we don't, we, we're, we're kind enough not to pass something that's not working for us on to someone else. If it ain't working for you, I mean, just you got, if you really love somebody, you won't pass it on to them too. Here, have more of my condemnation. But when it is working for you, when you're full of the joy of the Lord, when, you, when, you know, when, when, when Jesus is close to you, they can't shut you up. They can't shut you up because it is so cool. When you're finally doing what you've been chosen to do, you will look back on your life, including those years when you weren't a believer, and see that God was always at work preparing you to serve him. Did you hear that? I didn't make that up. I heard it years ago, probably 40, 50 years ago. And I've thought about it all these years. The man said, when, someday when you, when you finally come to that place where you know what you're supposed to be doing, you will look back and everything in your life will contribute to what you've become. God was always at work guiding and designing and equipping you to be the woman, to be the man you've been called to be. You'll discover that you are using everything you've learned. Nothing has been wasted. There's an odd but wonderful sensation that this is what I was made for. You'll feel his pleasure and his constant support. You'll realize you are a chosen vessel. But remember, you can't sit back and passively wait for such faithfulness to, fruitfulness to arrive. It's something that arises inside us when we abide in Jesus, in his word and prayer. It requires faith and perseverance. It's selfless and hard to do. But those who choose this path are his chosen ones. And he sets them apart from their mother's womb. He knows who they are. So he watches for the right moment and then captures them with his grace. And then he calls them to serve him. As he knew they would before the worlds were made. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.